welcome everyone back to the show. I just want to take a first few minutes now just to uh, to give you guys updates on everything that I've been doing the past three months. If you don't follow me on Instagram, it looks like I went MIA, and I guess in a lot of ways I did. Some people think I went on vacation. I wish I did. But no, I've been working very hard because I have now just officially opened my own new studio here in New York City, which I am just ecstatic about, really. Um, you know, this is it took about six or seven weeks to build out the whole thing, but I've been having talks about this for two, three months now. And finally, we put it together and made it happen. I, I first want to thank my longtime and main sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meets, that you guys have heard me talk about. Uh, without them, I don't think all of this would have been possible in the time frame that we made it happen. So I want to give them a huge shout out because they've really supported me literally since my second episode when I was just some random 19-year-old kid out of a freshman dorm room in Santa Barbara. So I, uh, I want to thank them a lot for everything that they've done for me. And then also I want to thank you guys because without you guys, then none of this uh, would have ever happened and I would not be doing this today. So thank you. Um, thank you for the past couple of years. And most importantly, I want to know what you guys want the next three years to look like. Not three years, but, you know, the next future to look like because that's really what matters to me. I want you guys to tell me what you guys have enjoyed so far in the past couple of years. Are there guests, are there genres that you prefer or dislike? Do you feel like maybe sometimes things can get repetitive? Do you think sometimes things can get monotone? What what do you like? What do you not like? What could I get better at? All of this is really important for me if I want to grow. Um, and I, I love all feedback. I welcome all feedback. And for me, it's really about how can I make this the most interesting show. And when you guys devote the hour or two that you do to listening to an episode, I want to to definitely not waste your time. So please tell me all of that. And then next, I mean, for me, taking everything to the next level means invest in myself um, on every single platform, whether that be YouTube, TikTok, all of that. Obviously, short form content, in my opinion, is the future. So making sure that you follow me on on all those platforms is really important, and especially if you're on TikTok or Instagram and you see a small clip because you follow me, hopefully that'll entice you to listen or watch the full episode. So all of that stuff is is really important to me and um, you know, just taking the time to to go follow me over there uh, means means a lot. So anyways, that was a lot. You guys don't want to hear me talk anymore. You guys want to hear from my guests. So let's get into my next episode. And my guest today, he is coming on for the second time. This is the first time that I've been able to sit down with him in person. And I'm just super grateful to have been able to spend this hour with him just two days out from one of the biggest pay-per-view events of the year. In my opinion, he is one of the most talented sports broadcasters today. And I'm even going to put him up there in history. I just think that the way he he's able to navigate and maneuver language and big moments uh, is really second to none. I'm honored to call him a friend and really at this point a mentor. So please welcome the extremely talented, hilarious, and kind John Anik.
John Anik, part two. Man. Well, first, first, I need to thank you for, I text you this, but I'm genuinely appreciative. We're two days out of a massive pay-per-view and taking the time, and I know you're fucking tired. I know, huh. I know you don't want to be here with me right now. That's but, not true. Well, well and I, I don't take it personally. I, you must be fucking exhausted. So I am thankful. And, uh, and you know what I realized on the way here? We never actually really like, I never really actually like hung out with you. Right. Which we got to do for the last 45 minutes or so. We were just talking cool. cra- some crazy shit that will never go out anywhere. <laughs> well, I wanted to be with you in your new plush studio, but obviously that would have been sort of three hours door to door. So we're here in my hotel room two days out from UFC 281. But let me be real with your audience. I have a ton of respect for this man. He has been a huge supporter of mine really from the outset of my UFC career. Uh, although that would have made him like 11 years old. So maybe not quite that far back. Um, but I don't know that there's any greater statement about how I feel about you that uh, that I'm budgeting this time with you tonight, my man. So that, I appreciate that, it. That seriously means seriously means a lot. Um, you know what I wanted to do? Do you know, remember? So what I usually do with my guests is I ask them if there's a little tidbit, a little story, a little something the world doesn't know about them already. Do you remember what you said to me when we did our show three, you know, now three years ago? Do you, and do you know, remember what card that was before? I don't remember what card it was before. Boston. Oh, all right, am UFC I am I rekindling something? No. There's one of the. I'll give you a hint. One of the fighters is fighting this weekend. He headlined that card. Headlined a card in Boston. Oh, against Chris Weidman. Yeah. So what did Three I reveal ago. to you? That so, I was an identical twin. No, that you're a frat boy. And ah. then, well, and then, that you 29, 28 unanimously defeated one of your frat brothers. That's right. Thank goodness. Which I don't know. It, did you really defeat him 29-28? Like I if did, I well, asked him, would he say that he that was it a clear yeah. unanimous? His name's Mike Frolick. We had three judges. Mike it was 29-28. Dude smoked a pack of Marlboro Reds every day. I had no choice but to beat the did smoker. You, did you smoke any any cigarette? How was your cardio at the time? I you can't know, ima- hey, Just the flower. Just the flower. Just the cannabis. That was the issue with my lungs. But obviously, uh, no, I was in better cardiovascular shape than this guy. But that was like the hardest athletic endeavor in my life, and it was three two-minute rounds, lacrosse gloves, lacrosse helmets. But no a way. tough man competition with 75 incoming freshmen watching. Like, that's an adrenaline you couldn't rush. couldn't look like a little – Had to get the W. Did you – and you got it. I got the W. That was my junior year. Senior year, I was the referee. I was like, right. give me the stripes. <laughs> we're going to lay back now. Damn. Do you really do, – do you feel like you're a frat boy at heart? Like the, the, the general connotation of a frat boy? No. And candidly, if some of the things that happened to other people who pledged fraternities happened to me, I would have taken my blindfold off and fucking walked out of the house. Like if you're going to dip spit in my mouth, I'm gone, right? You can fucking dip spit were, on my were you, shirt. Were you a hazer? I was actually well. Not as little. I ended up having to be the pledge marshal for like an off season class, right? So I had just three freshmen, and they all quit. And honestly, all I did, right? I would like dump a gallon of water on their head, but they were scared. I don't believe it. You did way worse. You did way worse. I really didn't. I honestly, I I was verbally, I was verbally abusive. I used my orating skills and I cut them down. But they, they just—if you can't stand the heat. You know, get your ass out the kitchen. <laughs> but no, I was not your prototypical fraternity brother. But uh, basically, I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, yeah. and it seemed like, you know, the social life was sort of inexorably linked to these fraternities. And uh, I wanted to be a part of those parties. And, um, you know, I'm attracted to the opposite sex, and I felt like this was the best way for me to sort of uh, get in with them. So, uh, how'd that work out? 
it was okay, you know? I remember one night early on as a freshman, like, I, I made out with, like, three girls no, the, same the same night. No, the same night, you know? And a, your wife doesn't know the story. I don't think she does, Good, she but she to likes this podcast, yeah. so maybe she'll check it out. <laughs> but I remember sort of thinking this was something to puff my chest out about, but then one of the three women I actually really liked. and Did she find out serves, about the other two? She did. No. And I actually thought it was, like, somehow leveraged. Like, hey, you know, this chick, Jesse wants it too <laughs> but all's well that ends well but i think i kind of misplayed my hand that night and yeah that was the last time in my life that there was more than one in an evening so there a little breaking news three that's a just make out yeah well <laughs> one of the three went a little bit further but no i mean just you know absolutely browned out hammered you know basement of theta chi fraternity got one or two out of the way there then i go back to my freshman dorm oh my. and something happened there and uh it's a wild one it's a wild one john anik the dog <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Do you ever, do you think back like, well, how many years ago is that? 20? That was, uh. Four? Uh, no. 20. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're talking about the fall of 1997. So that would mean before you were born. Well, dude, I'm 44. <laughs> At the you end know, you're, of my. You're ex- well, you're exactly twice as old as I am. Yeah. What year were you born? You got the good grays. You got the oh, silver fox grays looking. White beard. What year were you born? 2000. 2000. Yeah. So. You're 78. 1978 and uh sometime in july aren't you july 3rd baby so uh me and tom cruise so basically at the end of this ufc contract i'll be 48 which is just crazy when i think about being 31 or so you're six years away from being 50 i know old motherfucker see thank you i use that grandpa emoji like all the time use it today yeah but you got the young spry the young step in you and i dress like i'm 12 right (laughs) now you dress well thank you Dripped yeah. out for the yeah. We got the Andre Agassi yeah there you go. Today. But no, I dress like I'm 12. I'm constantly wearing a hat, and uh, as my daughters and my son, to a lesser extent, would tell you, like I act like a child at times when I'm home. I'm playful. I'm fun. I bring a lot of energy into my household, and um, yeah, I feel youthful. You know, I think the biggest challenge for me is just the travel and the international travel, right. and then just the voice. Right at some point, I think it stands to reason that. Given how much I abuse my voice, I don't always use my diaphragm correctly. You know, voice in a bunch of video games will damage your voice. And then just the nature of these UFC shows and all the talking, like I think eventually, you know, there could be a polyp issue or something that could take me out for a little while. But um, that's a little too negative a thought. So. Yeah, what, the <laughs> what are you talking about? We'll get you. We'll get you. But as long as my voice holds up, you know, I'm hoping to do this job, as I said in my media scrum today, as sort of I want this to be the last job in broadcasting that I have. Do you, so obviously you just signed the new UFC deal. Um, NFL Sundays, though? One day, come on. You're so, yeah, I mean, fan. I would be lying if I said yeah, there wasn't I know you would a tug right. to one day call an NFL football game. The last time I called a major college football game was 2015. Which and one? What, what game it was, was that? Arizona at Washington. Rich Rodriguez and the Arizona Wildcats taking on Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies at Husky Stadium. Beautiful backdrop right, in right, Seattle. Right, right. You can boat up to Husky it's a Stadium. Big fucking stadium too, no? It was amazing. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily a college football guy. You know, growing up in Boston, right. Boston College didn't give us a lot to root for. So yeah, I'm an NFL guy, and I think there will always be that pull. But make no mistake about it. I have I have the job that I want, and um sometimes maybe I take it too seriously, but I try to earn the seat every show. Is there I'm not familiar at all with the contract. Can you is there a way that you would ever be able to like do an off one-off NFL Probably game. not. You know, they let me do a college football game in 2015. It was kind of an emergent right. situation. We were with Fox at the time. Okay. One of their NFL guys went down. They needed a guy from their college ranks to go up and do the pro game. And, uh, you know, they knew I had interest, so they called my number. And thankfully, my boss, Craig Borsari, right. allowed me to do it. But, yeah, at this point, I probably would not be afforded that opportunity. And 
You know, I like that I get to be an NFL fan. I mean, candidly, seven of the first eight weeks of the NFL season, I was on a plane on Sunday, yeah. so I haven't ingested a lot of NFL football this year. But, you know, it's kind of nice when you're in the MMA space. Right. You get your Sundays. You get your Sundays. When I think about being an NFL play-by-play guy and being on the road, you know, for 17, 20 consecutive weeks, even if those are two-day trips, you know, I never do more than three consecutive weekends away. So the thought of doing 18, 19, 20 straight weeks is a lot. What I'm curious about is, when I was thinking about it on the way over here, is since I last had you three years ago, almost, it was October, so more or less three years ago. I'm thinking about where you were at that, I'm thinking about where I was 19, I was a little baby. Um, now look at you now. I'm still a baby. <laughs> I don't got the grays yet. Yeah, like, nothing, man. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> I could barely grow a fucking beard. <laughs> um, but, you know, and you were, you know, at that point, you were loved by all. But now, and I feel personally that, like, and you're a humble guy, you won't admit it, but I'm going to get it out of you. Universally, I think that, like, even in the past couple years, there's not a UFC fan on the planet that's not like, John Anik is fucking amazing at what he does. And lo- and lo- not only, like, loved as a commentator, seemingly loved by every person that you meet, myself included. So for you, have you felt this, um, do you ever have, like, are you able to take a second and realize what you've done? And if not, I hope that moments like this will allow that. Well, thank you, buddy. Um, I know how invested you are in the MMA space, so obviously that does not fall on deaf ears, and it means a lot coming from your mouth. Um, Yes, I have been able to sort of um, reflect a little bit, especially over the last year. It was a very challenging contract year. You don't necessarily know where you stand with Dana White until you're in a contract year, and thankfully now I I know where I stand, that they want me to be the guy. And uh, Yeah, I mean, the public approval is very humbling because I will never forget my first show in Nashville, Tennessee. January 20th, 2012, I come back to my hotel room, all fired up. Is that an inauguration day? Is that an inauguration day? Yeah, right, yeah. How about it? So I'm all fired up, go back to my hotel room, first show in the can, Dana's happy, order my cheeseburger, open up Twitter. I'm like, oh, no, just an avalanche of hate. And I was expectant that there would be some. But again, you're talking about a new broadcast team, you know. Joe Rogan and Mike had done every single show, right? right? So there was an adjustment period, I think, for the fan base. And Dana was – very wise to it you know he was like people don't like change like i didn't hire you to be joe or mike we hired you to be yourself right. you're doing the post fight interviews let's go you know so they gave me a good pep talk i was ready to go um but yes yeah, certainly i feel like my my public approval rating is a lot higher now <laughs> than it was you know 11 years ago and obviously the public support from joe rogan has certainly helped you know um i hold him so near and dear and if i could have anyone's approval other than a fighter on the roster it would probably be his because he's been in that booth forever and he just embraced me to such an extent. I mean, we called fights together in 2012, 2013, and then I was elevated in 2017, and um, he embraced me every step of the way. Do you, and I hope, I mean, without getting into to the fine details, it kind of feels like you're you're not replaceable, you know? And I think that, and I hope that it kind of shone through in the contract, you know, in re- the renegoti- renegotiation of this new contract, but it kind of feels like at this point... Um, you know, I think UFC fans, if you did, or the day that you do, will be very upset at that. And I hope that, I hope you're rewarded for that, more importantly. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, no, I feel taken care of. And, you know, I'm confident in my skills, right? right? I mean, there was a time in my life where I never even would lean into, like, God-given ability, natural talent. What is that, right? But as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know what? I may, might not be the most creative writer in the world. I think my writing for television is pretty good, but I do feel like I have some orating skills, and I do feel like the promotion has recognized that. And, um, 
you know, my bosses, Craig Borsori and Zach Candido, just said a lot of nice things to me once the contract was finalized. It, it took a little bit longer than I expected it to, but um, we're off and running four more years. And um, there's just no seat in professional sports for a play-by-play guy quite like this one, yeah. right? And you don't want to disclose your whole hand and tell the world that this is your dream job and thereby lose all your leverage, <laughs> yeah. right? But when I thought about being in an outside world and doing football will always have an appeal to me, but you know, going back to boxing or going somewhere else, like I just wanted to be a part of these live events. I mean, I'll order every UFC pay-per-view as long as I live, but um, at least thankfully right now I'm, I'm not ordering them cause I'm in the building. So. For you, do you, you know, as, as John Annick strip away the, cause when I was doing some of the prep, there's a, Oh, what does Johnny Annick think about this card, that card, this fighter, that fighter? Honestly, I don't give a fuck. Ha, I, I want to know. I yeah. want to know about the individual and the psyche behind the person. Um, you know, I want to know when you're in the hotel room and you've got the nerves that probably the fighters have different type of nerves. Like, what's the conversation like with yourself? Are you as confident as it seems to the general public or are you a fucking wrecking ball before you put on the suit well i'm not a wrecking ball i mean certainly when i went to do my first ufc live event i had done season one of bellator in 2009 i think the most nervous i've ever been for a telecast was probably bellator one in 2009 i'm literally saying to myself on the walk to the caves like dude you got the fucking wrong guy like dude i Did you got the sweat do. stains that you had at oh the other it was pro- bad it was bad <laughs> But I really, back then, I mean, I was a passionate right. MMA fan. I was hosting MMA Live. I had called boxing for ESPN, but I had never called an MMA fight in my life, and I'm doing Bellator 1. There right. was some appreciable hype at the time. So that was pretty daunting. Um, you know, I always have a moment of reflection with our late producer, Bruce Connell, and our late makeup artist, Susie Freetown, before I leave my hotel room. So sort of a little spirituality thing that I say to myself. But as I've said to you and others before, a lot of my anxiety really is in the preparation and not so much the performance I have been having my twin brother Jason travel with me a little bit to just help with some of the loneliness, right? right? I mean, because I am hunkered down, It's and that's because of the work, right? I have opportunities, obviously, to go out and break bread and do things, but time is money, and time is precious, especially during a pay-per-view week. So. What are the thoughts when you are having, like, a lonely moment? Like, what goes on in your head? Well, I was that homesick camper, right? So mm. I try to lean into deep breathing. I'm not much of a meditator. I've tried, but haven't really found success doing that, but... um. You know, yeah, just try to lean on my family a little bit. And I guess for me, the elixir is just leaning into the work. Like when I'm busy and I'm working, I'm good. You know, I might have a little moment of anxiety or sadness. But then once I go to the fighter meetings, I'm ready to go. I'm happy to be there. So, yeah, I I don't know. I guess it's just 100 nights away from the family for the last 11 years. As my kids get get older, it's just uh, it's very hard leaving for the internationals. I'm very emotional when I leave the house. But um, try to remind myself that – that there's no place I'd rather be. So. What's the conversation like with, with the kiddos when you're leaving? Is it, and what what's the feeling, I guess, also like for you, because I'm not a father, like what is, if you could. Take your time, Felix. First, I gotta, I gotta find a fucking wife. You do. But I, but again, I, 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 I would da- say, You need to give me some dating advice after. I'm just well, my dating struggling. advice would be take your time. Dating advice, I hope, is not make out with three girls in a night. No, you don't want to <laughs> do that. You don't want to do that. Right. But Thankfully, no sexually transmitted diseases to speak of. So. Um, but yeah, it's tough with the kids and obviously they're different ages, right? So now they're 11, nine and four, but depending on the age, there might be different challenges, but yeah, some getaway days are really hard. And my daughters sort of like me to leave in the middle of the night or before they wake up right. or when they're at school. So they don't have to rip off the bandaid, so to speak. But as my daughters have gotten older and their lives have gotten busier, I think at times it's easier. 
my daughter Riley, like she doesn't want me going to Perth. She knows how far Perth is from Miami. Oh. She knows how many hours I'm flying over. Oh, so they, water. they understand how far each place is. So yeah, they just don't like the internationals, and oftentimes I'm really not able to communicate with them because of the time difference and whatever else. And um, you know, I think my son, at least at this point, is having a harder time than my daughter's because he's he's tiny, but he's like a little manly dude. Like he likes dudes, like he likes like no girls allowed type shit, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of hard when uh when the only other dude in the house leaves. But uh, I'm doing it all for them, you know? Like I'm not gonna be here forever, right? right? Like I can assure you, I'm not going to be hanging hanging around like all of these play-by-play guys. John Sterling and Susan Waldman, your New York Yankees radio broadcast team, God love Legends. them. Do you know how old they are? How old is Sterling? 83. You know how old Susan Waldman is? 75. <laughs> so, and you know, the Celtics play-by-play television voice, Mike Gorman, has been around forever, and... Uh, I guess for me, you know, I'm really hoping to do this job as long as my body can sustain, and I'm sure that's going to fall on some deaf ears, but I'm telling you, this job is a grind. The travel's a grind. Changing time zones is a grind. Like, it really does wear on you. Like, I have to lean into the cardio and everything else, but I'm not going to be doing this till I'm 70 years old out of ego. No way. So? No, I know so. Like, I'll bag groceries before I do this job at 70 years old. You heard it here first. Like, and part of that will be to let someone like you get in there. Have you felt like it's when you when you look at the end of the day, when you kind of tally it all up, is it worth it? No doubt about it. And I've sort of tried to bring my twin brother into the performance space a little bit. He was always the performer our whole lives. He majored in musical theater, acting, singing, everything, you know. So it's sort of weird that the shoe is on the other foot. But, you know, not unlike Michael and Bruce Buffer providing opportunities for each other, you know, I feel like he has a passion and that's been really exciting for me to be able to uh to sort of share some of this with him but this is all for my children and all for my family you know i never wanted to do television you know i wanted to be a sports writer and then i was like eh maybe articulation is a better path and then i wanted to be on the radio but i never really wanted to do television i was at espn and i was working for espn radio they needed television talent and kind of moved over that way but uh i just want to work in sports that was the goal what does internally it feel like to do your dream job? Because you're in kind of one of those unique situations that I think not everybody can confidently say, I, I'm doing my dream job. So my daughter Riley asked me recently, like, what's the best part of your job? And I really didn't have a great answer. There's, I mean, certainly my answer to people like you is when a first-time champion like Leon Edwards breaks through and becomes the champ, that's yeah, the best, you know. But I think it is getting back to my hotel room after we've had a particularly good mm-hmm show or broadcast and just exhaling there's a definite rush and a high once a show is in the can but bro this is not a three-hour football game these are eight-hour fucking marathon monsters and you don't even pee i hear yeah i mean it dude my train the bladder rust well i don't drink a lot of liquids i'm sipping all night and especially when we're on pay-per-view obviously it doesn't get dry no i mean i'll take sips when it does get dry and obviously when i'm sick all bets are off right because i have to drink tea and then Maybe you'll see me leave on a pay-per-view and Rogan and DC will handle the walk. But when we're on pay-per-view, as you know, there are no standard commercials, so I can't get up. So no one's happier than me when we get a finish in the featured prelim because that all but guarantees that I'm going to get a window to take. Have you ever ever gone into an event dealing with some kind of, whether it be personal issue or that day you're just not fucking feeling it? Can you recall, and it doesn't have to be a specific moment, because... That's got to be difficult as the energetic play-by-play guy when you just don't 
really want to do it and you're doing eight hours straight and they don't give a fuck that you're sad or that you're yeah. mad or that your wife left you a mean voicemail, like they don't care. No, you it's a good work. question. I expect a lot of good questions from you <laughs> and you bring it every time. You know, I have had, I guess, what you could quantify as like some mental health issues over the last two years in terms of my overall happiness and trying to say, look, you know, I have a wife and three kids and a beautiful family, my dream job. Why am I not a happier person? You know, but I can't say that I've ever walked to a UFC telecast and had any of those negative emotions. I mean, I did a Bellator show in 09. I was sick as a fucking dog. I was freaking out, you know. Um, but no, I think sometimes I have negative energy when it comes to some of the preparation because it's just so daunting. Right. There's so much writing for television. And my guys, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, just continue to add fights to these cards. So instead of doing 12, it's 15, it's 30 fighters. So sometimes I have some negative energy when it comes to the preparation because it's just so much. I use every hour until I get to the arena. But once I leave, I'm good. I'm curious, and you can go into it as much or as little as you want. Were you able to pinpoint, even though you're having your dream job, why perhaps you weren't happier as a person? I'm still going through that process, and um, I don't know that I'm willing to sort of reveal all of it right now. But uh, I'm happier than I was, I guess, last time we were in New York about a year ago. I had a really hard time, and I'm in a better place now. You know, and this is not necessarily a poor me thing. You know, certainly I think for for all people, but especially for men, it seems like it's more okay to sort of talk about some of these things now. And so I'm certainly willing to do so. And um, you know, my twin brother has dealt with some of these things as well. Um, but yeah, I think some things have crystallized for me. And um, you know, Colin Cowherd said recently when he was talking about Aaron Rodgers, you know, lubricate, don't agitate. And that's sort of philosophically been something that I've leaned into. Right? Is I am confrontational, even though everybody sees me as this nice guy. Like, in my family, I'm not the fucking nice guy of that, I can assure you. You know, I'm the asshole. Truthfully. Oh, you're the asshole. Yeah. Dude, they called me bad Anna growing up. My twin brother was good. I was bad, you know? So, I am, I think, inherently a little bit confrontational. I don't back down from a challenge. And I've really tried to philosophically just lubricate and be positive and... I'm not a gossip monger, like just trying to lay back, do my own thing. And, and that has sort of helped me. Well, I think it's also important that for you to even say that just because people think that when they have that one thing or that one dream job that they're going to all of a sudden be happy. And I think that for me, it's it's important to hear you say things like that because the reality is like, so many people look at you as like, oh my God, like how, how could he not be perfect, right? Living yeah. a perfect life. But it's like, you're a human being at the end of the day too. You've yeah. got kids and family and yeah. things to worry about. So I think that, you know, it's, uh, I'm happy that people like you are talking and, you know, even like when Patty on his last, yeah. um, you know, post fight and everybody's expecting Patty to say some, you know, Facebook's lizards, all that shit. And he's talking about something important. I think that it's, uh, it's really important for you to, because so many people look up to you, whether you know it or not. Well, thank you, buddy. One thing that I will say, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with any mental health issues that I have had, but one thing that hasn't necessarily been shared that was a very hard navigation for me professionally, um, you don't see me going in and doing those post-fight interviews anymore. And I haven't oh. shared this publicly. Um, there might be times where they call my number here and there. You know, I went in and interviewed Ian Gary a few months ago when Joe had to go do something when we were in Jacksonville. Um but, you know, Dana wants champions going in there whenever possible, you know, and um, which is fine. Like I send Daniel Cormier in there. Right. But at first. Right. 
those were entrusted with me from my first show, January of 2012, when I was working with Kenny Florian, and I did them essentially every show I ever did except for when Joe Rogan was there. There was a time where Brian Stan and I kind of split the inventory. but uh, So that was sort of difficult for me to navigate professionally, and I was thinking, was this a statement about sort of my work? And it, and it was not that. And now I'm sort of removed from that whole situation and of a positive mind about it. But, you know, I worked very hard to establish myself in that role, and uh, obviously when I got the news that I was not going to be going in there anymore, even on fight nights, um, fucking killed me. It took a toll on you? And... I guess on a on a different note, do you what I'm curious about is where is or when is John Anik happiest? Other than being with the kiddos and the wife, I imagine. Yeah. Certainly on the golf course, right? How are you um, playing these days? I'm not great. I mean, the reason you don't see I, me in these pro ams is because I'm gonna fucking kill somebody in the gallery. I hey, you're gonna smoke one to huh. some old lady's head. I'm telling you. Wait, that's but I heard you're, you're you're good what I heard on a I forget whose show. A little bit few shots of whiskey or something and you're you're yes whole, so you're green right the issue is right it's like i can't smoke weed on the golf course like no, i gotta I drink you know because cannabis doesn't help my golf game right but alcohol is actually a performance enhancer you just for smoke that sport. edibles not a big edible guy i like the flower no vape pens or i'm old school i was oh, born in the old. 1970s you know so when you put the kids to bed oh yeah i mean come on you know the wife doesn't i mean do you know how fun no she doesn't but do you know how fun it is to, to bet on sports while you're still on? It's fucking incredible, you know? Not so fun for, um, you know, my kids' college funds, right? Or or really fun when maybe you're hitting something crazy while you're high. Like hitting that, crazy yeah, parlay. I mean, I've certainly hit some crazy parlays. I've also bet on both sides of a game. though. <laughs> no, wait, just because yeah. you're, you're high? I'll call my brother. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I bet on the Seahawks on Monday at, like, plus three, and I forgot. I just bet on the Cardinals. Like, what am I doing in there? He's like, dude, you're a fucking idiot. And there was a time where he and I would share an account, and it happened one time. No I thought he was going to kill me, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'd say I'm my happiest on the golf course and certainly on pay-per-view nights. Like, I'm really a fucking happy camper. Like, certainly I'm happier when it's over than when it starts just because we got one in the can and it was relatively clean. Um but yeah, I would say that is when I'm I'm at my happiest, other than being around my kids. How do you assess whether a show is good or not? Is it just strictly based on feel, since you can't immediately watch it back? Yeah, I think a lot of it's feel. Certainly, social media is a pretty good indicator. Right. As much as some of the criticism on social media is fruitless, a lot of it's really fruitful and stuff that we can actually use moving right. forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like generally speaking, like there's just been a lot of positivity when it comes to the broadcast. And I just hope that people who are watching and listening understand how much work goes into these shows to try to make it watchable. Like humbly, I feel like we put on one of the better live events in all of professional sports. And there's so much effort from so many people that goes into it. All of that being said, we've never had a perfect show. And sometimes if I start and I'm not a little flat energy wise, but maybe I flub once or twice. And What's it's a I'm, flub for you like. Well, it never sounds as bad when you watch it back. But, no, I'm just saying maybe I'm not speaking cleanly and mm. I have to correct myself a couple times early on. It's hard not to get in your head a little bit, right? right? And I'll say to myself, like, dude, fucking tighten up, man. It's fight one. You got 13 to go, you know? So, but generally speaking, I'm, I try not to uh, – I try to lean into the posit positive. I mean, I'm certainly an optimist, like, as a sports fan and – you know, I just try not to sort of dwell in the morass of negativity that sometimes can permeate the MMA space. I'm curious, as in as a professional articulator, 
what is the process towards fine tuning the articulation, both with regards to like literal, like how you're going to enunciate, but also how you're going to articulate a specific moment that's then going to be etched in sporting history. So it's an ongoing evolution. When I say we've never had a perfect show, that also speaks to myself and my abilities to use my diaphragm correctly, for example, which that's the one thing I don't really do. You're really supposed to like fill your stomach You're with fucking air. fucking kill yourself you know? over here. Well, so there actually have been times where I come close to losing consciousness capping a fight oh. where I see stars or no way. yeah, because I'm not breathing properly and I haven't properly oxygenated my wow. brain. So those situations are, are less than ideal. But for me, verbal crutches, right? Things that I say often, you know, is my foremost verbal crutch. So when I go back and listen to my podcast, and I don't do that out of any ego. Like I tell Kenny Florian all the time, we've done almost 400 episodes. He's never listened to one back. And I feel like the best way to get better forcibly is to listen 100%. to yourself, you know, and so that I really try to do, but I'm saying I'm less, I'm saying, you know, less, I know how to pause now. So I've worked really hard over 20 plus years to refine my articulation. And when you're utilizing length, like at the actual language, I was always curious about this. I feel like you do such a fantastic job of the specific words that you're using or it's not like basic vocabulary. I wonder if there's a like devoted effort towards finding perhaps words or at least opening up your vocabulary of words so that you can for specific moments pick one up, drop that that one. Cause I also feel like you don't I really I rarely feel like you have the same kind of string slew of words that are twice in a row. Well or, thank you. That is definitely an effort to not be repetitive when it comes to my fight ending calls. There's only one time I ever thought about a fight ending call. Demetrius Johnson was chasing UFC history, and I wanted to work the word immortality into the call, and I think I did. But generally speaking, I want these all to be organic to the moment. Like, Poland, your guy got it done, right? That's all you need. That's five words. Right. Yeah. So I try to make those calls be organic to the moment as best I can. I never plan my calls. I certainly don't want to hit a button with respect and say, it is all over yeah. and do that every fucking time. And but you got to imagine, like what, like, what if Izzy knocks out Pereira? But like, I you can't, don't, you right? Don't... I want it to be organic to that moment. I want it to withstand the test of time. And even when Izzy broke through and won the belt and I said, undisputed king of the middleweights, it was almost like my cadence like yeah. went with him <laughs> yeah, doing the gun. Yeah. It just was incredible the way it all worked out. But... I really don't want to think too much about that. And sometimes fans will say, hey, if this happens, you know, um, there was a show back in the day called Charles in Charge. And going okay. into Oliveira and Islam, Akashev, I had this Charles in Charge. It's like, no, we ain't doing it, you know. So I try not to, uh, to have that at the forefront of my mind. And then the other thing I'll say, you know, I majored in political journalism. I worked in the writing center at Gettysburg College. I have so much experience writing, not just for television, but just long-form writing in my life that I feel like sometimes – and I'm, my mom was like the grammar police, right? So I don't say, yeah, but Leon Edwards isn't cut from that cloth. I might say, yeah, but that is not the cloth from which he is cut. Uh, and that's just the way I talk, right? And so I mom. do think – it translates, I guess, to whatever degree on the broadcast, and maybe it sounds a little bit more sophisticated. Some people might find it off-putting and think it's me trying to sound smart, but anyone who's spent time with me knows that it's just the way I talk. Do you, do you make an active effort to alter ever your voice when you're in those moments? Because I feel like, you know, well, there's, there's the range, so you're going to go higher or lower depending on how 
the much the moment takes you aback. But I wonder if there's ever, you know, you kind of sound the same that you do on the broadcast. Yeah, no, I don't think too much about that. I certainly think my voice has evolved. And even sitting doing an interview like with you, some people will say like, man, he can't turn that announcer voice off. And it's like, well, I, I think I can fucking turn it off if I want to. Um, but no, I think that's just, uh, I've noticed my voice has gotten deeper and maybe a little bit damaged and more refined. But yeah, I really don't think so much about that. I remember early on, my boss, Craig Borsari, was like, dude, we love the energy, but like, there are 11 fights to go, and right. you just treated that prelim like a championship. Right. So, And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves. And now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. You know, I heard you talking in an interview also, which I thought was interesting because I didn't think this about you, that you, and I don't know the exact phrasing, but it was something along the lines of you had never been always, I guess, the most ambitious one or the most, um, quote, motivated or whatever it was along those lines, um, which I thought was interesting because, you know, it doesn't seem like that. Well, hard work was never an issue. Work ethic was never an issue. I knew I wanted to work in sports and I would stop at nothing to get there. But I guess in terms of some of the ambition, you know, my boss, Zach Candida, will say like, hey, do you want you want to go on camera just a single shot to lead the ABC telecast? I think that'd be kind of cool. And I'll be like, just do a three shot, me and my partners. Right. And. I hope that people understand that that speaks in some part to, to, to a lack of ego. But I also like if they kill something that I, a report of mine, right. During the show, like, I'm like, Woo-hoo! you know, it's like my, my salary just went up. It's less work. So my mentality, I just don't think I'm inherently like the most ambitious person in the world. Um, I don't know. How do you tame? Because, and I've gotten to know you a little bit, I mean, this is the first time we really hung out, but like over the years, as you've gotten more and you've noticed the, the love for you out there, how do you tame the ego to make sure it, it still stays level and you still keep that humility that made you and got you to the place that you are today? Well, I have brothers who will humble me every step of the way. And certainly oh, yeah. when you're a monozygotic twin, a true identical twin, right? Born in the 1970s, one placenta, you hear me talk about them a lot, but I mean, that's my truth serum. You know, mm-hmm. he tells it like it is. And what an amazing resource for me to have this actor, essentially, who has my same fucking DNA be able to sort of break down my performances and criticize them. But, you know, there would be times five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer, where I was like going on social media just looking for the negativity. Like, let's oh. see the shit talkers out there and scrolling way past the positive. Now it's the opposite, right? The negative, I don't even pay any mind. 
the positives I try to not only respond to, but you know, sometimes I just follow those people because I feel like it will make their day. So I don't know, man. I, I don't think I'm, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a lot of people in my life that, uh, that keep me in check. And, uh, when your boss is Dana White, I can't emphasize this enough. They can terminate my contract without cause at any time. And if you think for a second, if I have three or four bad shows and I'm not bringing the energy that they wouldn't move in another direction with respect, like you're crazy, you know, nothing makes me happier than when I'm like emceeing away in high energy and I see Dana smile and I know he's getting the energy that he wants, you know, so, um, just trying to keep bringing it every show and I just keep my fucking head down. Honestly, the wife humble you as well. Yeah, she she does. does. No doubt. You know, but just keep my pothead down. What? (laughs) My pothead down. Uh, what is... I'm curious too, you know, um, now granted we talked about this a little earlier. I got some ways to go, but you having three kids, being on the road, managing a, a life and a wife, what is in your eyes kind of at least the the serum that makes a a marriage go? And especially when you have, you know, one side of the family that is away for a hundred nights. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, as somebody that hopefully knock on wood can uh, fucking find the wife one day. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's genuinely, A, it's impressive, and then I think, B, people don't even understand how difficult it could be at times. Yeah. And that's why I'm so curious to see, you know, how you've been able to make it work over the years. Well, certainly there are times when we're disconnected, my spouse and I, and we're not yeah. necessarily on the same page, and things have sort of been compounded because she's now back teaching full-time. Oh, right. And so that sort of... Makes things a little bit more math challenging. Teacher, right? She's a math teacher. Good on you, Felix. You know, but yeah, I mean, I just think that I'm not saying that our marriage is a business transaction, but in terms of the way we parent our kids and the way we run our household, like we're just a, a well-oiled machine and a team. And we, I think, play to each other's strength and strengths and weakness as well. Like I can't do fourth grade math homework, you know, it's and, tough. you know, my wife isn't necessarily the most articulate person in the world at times. You know what I mean? So I think that we, in a lot of respect, are, we are opposites that attracted. And um, none of this obviously would be able to happen without her support. And, you know, even this week, right? I mean, there's a hurricane coming. Right. School gets canceled Wednesday and Thursday. You know, she's boarding up the house by herself, putting the basketball hoop down and everything else, you know. And um, I want to be there for those moments. But for better or for worse, this is our reality. And, you know, like my daughter Tatum just seems so desensitized at times to this. Sometimes she has a real hard time, but it's like, daddy's gone. Like, no fucking shocker there, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't want that to be the reality. And recently they've expressed interest in me coaching them. And oh. that's made things hard because I can't be the head coach. I got to be the assistant coach. And I need to miss a lot of games and practices and everything else. And Probably um, more nervous for that, no? Oh, dude, I mean, I've, I, dude, these referees. Uh, oh, 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 poor referee. You're going to fucking use your potty mouth Boston asshole dickhead. One of the fathers said to me, like, dude, <laughs> I don't red think card. you should they play, What do they play, soccer? Yeah. There's like, I don't think you should coach because, like, you're gonna, <laughs> you'll get into it with, like, a referee and to whatever degree as a public figure it could get you in trouble. But now I'm starting to try to figure out how can I navigate this because there was a while – and it, not that they're great athletes, right? But there was a while where they didn't want to receive coaching from me, and now they're all about it. My youngest daughter was like, hey, if you be the coach, I'll play basketball. And I was like, well, then I'm going to be the coach because you got a pretty good jump shot, and I want you to play. But I can't commit to that type of thing, so that's hard. What kind of what kind of father are you? How would you describe yourself? As? I'm a lunatic. Like, Well, I know you're a lunatic in general, but... No, I'm light. I'm energetic. I mean... Strict? I am... No, I'm not strict. 
like my oldest daughter is very, very intelligent, and I could probably push her more academically mm-hmm. than I do, but I just want her to have that sort of school life balance and be happy. And um, I know a lot of other parents, if they had a child like this, they would really push her academically, and I'm not doing that. But no, I'm silly. I'm fun. I think sometimes they sense the pressure I'm under at times, especially during a pay-per-view week or late in a contract negotiation. And my oldest daughter is not immune to a lot of these conversations when me and my wife are talking about these things. And um, so, yeah, that sometimes I think can be a little bit uh, tricky for me. But, um, you know, like I do think in a lot of respects, I'm a big kid at 44 years old and I try to keep my house light. Like my wife is definitely the more serious of the two of us. How do you continue to keep the kid through through the stress and through, I mean, you know, your your career and and now it's like because of the position that you're in, it's it's only more doors opening whether you want to agree to that statement or not. It's uh, as you continue, it's like it's only going to be hopefully knock on wood bigger opportunities, bigger money, and like harder to manage all those things. But you still got the kid, and you're still the kid from. Massachusetts. Yeah, it is hard. And that is really what I felt over the last 18 months or so is that not a day goes by where I'm not being pitched something by someone. And even just trying to figure out a way to have an hour with you, I really wanted to prioritize this. But I know you would have understood if I just was like, dude, no. And that's been sort of a big familial navigation with us is like these opportunities aren't necessarily going to stop coming. You got to figure out how to navigate. One other thing that I think is interesting my daughter's 11. She's in sixth grade, and her she heard some guy. They were talking about the UFC, and she was like, oh, my dad's a UFC announcer. And this dude, I won't say his name, he was like, oh, what's your dad's name? It's like, oh, you know, John Anik. And he's like, oh, I don't like that guy. My daughter's 11. She right? punch him in the face? She was like, oh, well, thankfully, you know, I don't really care what you think. You know, so Savage. she responded in kind. But and who knows if this is this 11 year old I know, this fucking punk. Right. So my wife is like, Kick I hope in he's back. in my fucking seventh grade math class. <laughs> oh, next yeah. year. Be like, oh, you don't like my husband. Yeah. Huh? OK, here's your fucking C minus, you know. <laughs> but no, you don't know if like there's a, a father at home who doesn't like right. me or if this is just a family of haters or, you know, so. But that was a little bit hard for me to my daughter kept that from me for two weeks. And then finally, she heard me say something that about some of the criticism I had received online, and she felt like she could have an opening to say, "Yeah, well, my one of the kids in my class doesn't like you, Daddy, or whatever, you know." And uh, when she said that, would you say <laughs> my wife took it a lot harder than I did? Oh, I thought it was funny, kind of funny. <laughs> you know. And I was like, "Really? Let me meet this dude's <laughs> dad. Like, I want, I want to meet this you kid's wanted, you, dad." So you didn't want to? Why the dad? Well, I just want to see if the dad don't like, <laughs> you know. Because we can settle our Yeah, business. you can settle your... Yeah. Shoot a little double leg. I'm one and two lifetime in fights. I need to get back to two and two. Where are the two losses? Other frat? So the last fight of my life, um, it was alumni weekend at Gettysburg College. And I How old was... How 21, maybe? Okay. 22. And, uh, you know, I was in bed sleeping with my girlfriend at the time, but it was alumni weekend. So her ex-boyfriend, oh. Mr. Fisher, came back to town, Fuck. Barges, barges in the apartment and just starts banging on your boy. You know, I'm in my boxer shorts. Right. So there wasn't a lot oh, I could do about cool. it. Right. So I'm like, let me go back to Theta Chi fraternity and round up the masses. Right. Now, I'm not like a heavy drug guy. I've never done ecstasy, any of that stuff. I go back to my fraternity, and all these guys are like high on ecstasy. Even my meatheads, who I knew wanted to punch a hole through this guy's chest, Ray Londo. So, you know what I did? I went to fucking safety and security. And, no. uh, oh, yeah. Wait, that's not big, the cops. How big is 
That's not the How comp. big is this guy? Six feet. No, I mean, I think if I was clothed, I might have had a shot, you know? But I'm yeah, far but- more of a fighter now. Oh, all really? trained up at the Institute of Human Performance. I'm ready to fucking go right now. But back then, um, no, it was sort of like just high garb, Piotr Jan cover Wait. up, minimize the damage. <laughs> Wait, so you went, you went to safety and security? Yeah, because I knew his name, and I was like, this dude just did this. Wait, so um, did you technically No, nothing happened. Well, I mean, I didn't throw a punch, but that's an L, though. That's, I mean, an, that's, L, an, L. Yeah, that's an L. <laughs> no, that's a moral L. Yeah, that's an L. Who's the previous L? That was just like just a college stupid. fight, and um, so you're one and two. Yeah, two and two with this, Mister. And Fish. the win was uh, was that fight that you was, talked about? No, no, I didn't count that tough man competition. Oh, that was the amateur fight. Yeah, well, no, that was like a sanctioned fight. I'm talking about one and two street fights, oh. but uh, no, I mean my high school, my high school sweetheart cheated on me with my best friend, and no uh, way he felt my left hook. That's not your best friend anymore. Oh no, that friendship ended that day. My After friend. that, oh yeah, that was it. Left hook out cold, headshot. No, dead. he was not out cold, but you know, we went with the left hand. You know. Well, I can what's talk your to... record lifetime, dude? Honestly, zero and zero, zero and zero. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? The more this is, I think, bad. The more UFC I watch, the more I'm like, you want it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of want to shoot in right now and you see, see, see what you got. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The worst. No, my my issue is that now, do, having done my show and having having a bunch of fighters on, gotten friendly with them, and one of my favorite things is going to the gyms, you know, like training with them. And one of my good friends, who's become a very good friend, is Randy Brown. Yeah. And Randy, he thinks, so I went to go train with him, and I, my issue, from Brooklyn, New York, I love talking shit. I love, like, I can tell. and I go up to him, like, Randy, you ain't, I could sub you in a second. Ha! And he's like, he's like, he's like, he, we walk into the cage or to the ring. He's like, get in the ring right now. We, I was dry. I was like, come on, you're going to show me a few things. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll show you. He's like, come here, put on your gloves. He's like, let's go. We're going to fight right now. I'm like, I'm like, you, you funny motherfucker. He rips me. He's like, he's like, I'm just going to hit you hard one time, but you're not going to know when. And I'm like, I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to fucking touch me. <laughs> he rips me body. So now he says it was light. This dickhead, he's huge compared to me. He hits you with a body shot, legit body, body shot. Right here, swear to God, a month. He thinks I didn't have a fractured rib. Every time I was like, when I was sitting, when I woke up middle of the night, I felt it. I believe it. So you I'm can, 0 no though. Well, so if you, you and I want to fight, though, we could. Dude, I got a real quick story for you. We were doing a DraftKings shoot, uh, I want to say, like, in January of this year. And uh, DC came up behind me to, like, crack my back. Oh, he ended up tearing my rib cartilage. Right. I ended up getting a couple of injections and a bunch of treatment from the UFCPI. Dude, I couldn't do my voiceovers. It was really bad. I ended up getting a cortisone shot when I went back to Florida and finally it subsided. But upper rib injuries, lower rib injuries, the upper ones are particularly challenging. But anyone who's had a rib injury, shout out to Chance Rencounter. Did you see that? His entire rib cage just destroyed. Was that? He ate a body kick. It was outside the UFC. Oh. And I had circumstantially just dealt with my rib injury, and so I felt like the world's biggest pussy, of course. But seeing Chance and his just brutal. Um, So, yeah, I I feel your pain a little bit, but uh, I like seeing you scrapping. You know, you got some size. My cardio is dog shit. No no good? No good at all. But anyways... That is neither here nor there. Um, I want to, I could talk to you for hours. I want to thank you. Well, before I even go, I want, because I never told you this story. The way that you and I, do you remember how we even got acquainted? I don't remember the acquaintance, but I'll never forget giving you a bear hug uh, the first time I saw you. At, at TD Garden. Yeah. And 
and I want, well, I wanted to tell you this both on air and off air. I just want to tell you this in general. You, so first of all, I had my freshman year of college went to Santa Barbara, tra- miserable, whatever, transferred over to Boston University. I'm in Southie, October. I'm like, just started my show. I'm like, who can I get from the UFC who's going to come to Boston? I hit up a couple fighters, like, yeah, maybe whatever. And then I was like, eh, long shot. I don't even use Twitter. I DM'd you on Twitter. And because I was following you. No. Oh, I wasn't. Okay. You weren't. And I really don't use Twitter at all. And I was like, it, honestly, I think it probably looked like a fucking bot. And I take a nap because at that point in time, also, I I was very myself going through a lot of like, I just transferred. I felt lonely. I was living in Southie and I was living an hour from school. I didn't really know anybody. I was fucking depressed. I was take, I took a nap at like 4 p.m. And I woke up to your message and I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, so. So I was like, holy shit, this is maybe this can actually happen. I literally, and I told Josh the story on the way here, I drove or I took the fucking Greyhound, shit bus, I hate that company, from Boston to New York. And we did a Zoom call, so I could have fucking done it from right, home. Right. I wanted to be in studio to make sure that it was done properly with Josh to like fucking make sure things wow. are going the right way because I was like, this is such a, for me, like such a big moment, someone that I look up to and I want it done the right way. And I tell you that story because you don't understand how much a moment like that for a, not only when I was younger, but also someone that's trying to build something for themselves, someone that strip away the career side that was kind of going through just like the internal mental health struggles of like, man, what am I doing? I'm fucking sad. Just a moment like that. I don't think you can understand how much that meant to me in the long run. And then later that week, I believe was when, I said what's up to you earlier on at, at TD Garden. And and I want people to know whether, and again, I'll tell you this off air, like that is the, when I think about you, that is the kind of person you are. And there's no, you didn't have to, A, do my show. I was a nobody. You didn't, A, you didn't have to meet me before TD Garden. You didn't have to do any of that. And um, that's why, that's one of the many reasons why I'll always have tr- not only respect, but love for you. And I want to just thank you not only for this, but, for when I was 19 and just starting off, because I know that it's moments like those that can legitimately alter someone's life and somebody's career. Well, thank you, buddy. I love you too. And uh, I think the universe sort of aligned and it was meant for us to connect as maybe trite as that sounds. And uh, even as I spoke earlier about giving some random fan with six followers, a seventh follower that maybe has a blue check mark, you don't know what people are going right. through, you know, but you always went about everything the right way and you've been so supportive and just the way you have navigated things at your age is so impressive. Dude, I was a fucking idiot until I was like 29, like literally at 27, like useless, completely fucking useless at 27 years old. And so to see this younger generation come up and take the bulls by the porn and have the entrepreneurial spirit to launch a show like this and um, I'm very happy for you and all of your success, and uh, I think this is just the beginning. We got to get you on the Anakin Florian podcast, when though. Have, we need that lettuce on have, the air. Can I touch it? Oh, this you, guy. you don't think I need to cut it a little? No, I think it looks good. I just think you need to slow your roll on your love life. You're 22. Like I don't want to hear you say I need to find a no, wife. Wait, can I talk to you real quick? Yeah. Like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Well, all right. Let me, let me put the other side. I'm not finding the right ones. Right. What, how do I find the right ones? I think you're going to end up with an MMA fighter, if I'm being think honest. so? Yeah, I Who? Do. Give me a prediction. I don't want to turn you on. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but no, I think sometimes it Pauliana, happens when Pauliana you... Pauliana Viana. Pauliana Viana. That could work. That could work. <laughs> uh, 
No, I mean, I just think it'll happen when you least expect it. And I know that's probably what you've heard from a lot of people. But, uh, you know, I think that at, I wanted to be married when I was 25, right? I ended up having my son 10 days before I turned 40, right? So I just tell tell young men, I don't really advise a lot of young women necessarily these days other than my daughters. But I do tell young men to wait, right? Yeah. Because in terms of even you're, you're a mature dude, right? You have a wisdom that belies your years on this planet. But you'll be a different dude at 28, 29. Right. I see it with these fighters all the time. Yeah. They come into their own 31, 32. So right. no rush. We'll get there. We'll get there. No rush. Um, I appreciate you, my brother. My man. Felix Levine, folks. How about this kid, huh? How this, about guy. this guy. Oh.